you would please open up your Bibles to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis chapter 29, and we'll be picking back up at the end of 29 where we left off. We didn't finish 29 because verses 31 through 35 really tie into chapter 30. And I know you guys didn't want me to continue to go into do chapter 30. Uh, we would have been here much longer than, uh, than we should. So with that said, if you've been joining us and following along with us, you'll know that at the end of chapter 29 of Genesis, uh, Jacob thought uh, everything was going to just, just line right up perfectly the way he wanted it. But we remembered, we saw that uh, deceit reaps deceit. And he mended his match with Uncle Laban. Uncle Laban really played a fast one and deceived him big time when it came to a very significant point in his life around marriage, if you remember. He had promised Uncle Laban, yes, I want your younger daughter, Rachel, and uh, what will it take? And love is blind. Sometimes you all of a sudden realize that you know, he'll do whatever it takes. And here's mama's boy who was not used to being uh, working labor, uh, labor because he came from a wealthy family. They had servants and everything. He just, you know, but he will do whatever it takes. A young man will do whatever it takes to get that woman that he's got to put his eye on. And in this case, he says to his uncle, Laban, yes, I'll serve seven years. Absolutely. Serving seven years and taking care of your sheep and your goats and, and your household. Absolutely for your daughter, Rachel. And, and he did. He faithfully served seven years. And sure enough, here comes the wedding. And he, during his wedding celebration moment, he's uh, probably celebrated a little bit too much. And of course, she, uh, the, the daughter is to be veiled. The wife is to be veiled from top to bottom. And then certainly that night, when it's very, very dark at night, Uncle Laban switched and did a switcheroo and deceived him by bringing in his oldest daughter, Leah, into the tent. Now, of course... Jacob was a little shocked waking up in the morning and realizing it wasn't Rachel who he loved, but the older sister, uh, Leah. Now, he loved Rachel so much he was willing to work another seven years of labor for his uncle Laban. Even though he's a deceitful man and I'm sure he was quite upset, he was still willing to do that for Rachel. And sure enough, he did. He got Rachel. So his intent was to have one, one marriage with one woman, just as God designed it. We know that in Genesis chapter 2. That's how God designed marriage between one woman and one man, period. Now, it's interesting, based on this scripture, we're going to find, and you know in the scripture, you know this in Leviticus 18.18, 18, I believe it is, where God had to bring a law into the land that says, you cannot marry two sisters. <laughs> and we're going to find that out today, why you don't want to marry two sisters. Because there's going to be some challenges, as we will see today, um, there's going to be some family dynamics that are going to play out. Now, I find it very fascinating as we get into the story today. Here's an, an interesting dynamics of this family. And then through all the dynamics, and we're going to read the dynamics here and how this family is going to grow, that God still is going to use this family for his purpose and for his kingdom. That it, through this crazy family, that God is going to bring offsprings that God is going to use as part of his messianic line. That to bring the, the, the Jesus, the Son of God, is going to come through that line, that crazy family. That God could use a crazy family with crazy dynamics. And that really gives me hope, doesn't it? Because we have our own stories of our family dynamics that are crazy. Like, how can this, God could use us. How could God use and work through our lives that are so chaotic and so crazy in our world? How could God really use me or use my family for his purpose? Well, let me tell you, God is sovereign. God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He is all-present. These are the characteristics of God, and that is not going to change based on your feelings or what the world tells you and me. 
and that he can work through any willing vessel. And in, in this case, even some vessels that are just really not willing. But, but God can still orchestrate things through your life to, for the purpose of his, uh, for his purpose. So we start here at the end of 29 here of Genesis, and we see the growing family. He's now married with two women. And remember, Uncle Laban gave to his, or the father of the two daughters, Leah and Rachel, he gave them a maidservant to take care of them and be with them in their life. So not only does he not only, only wanted one, Rachel, he now has four women to take care of. And you thought it was difficult, men, to take care of and keep one wife happy. Now he has to take care of four. And the unique dynamics that happens through this, because they did not do it God's way. Watch this. It's interesting. So in verse 31 of 29, he says, When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So we start right off in front about God's sovereignty over the womb of a woman. That he is in control of the womb of the woman. That he decides when to open up the womb and when to keep the womb closed so that a woman can have children or not have children. That in his wisdom and his understanding and timing, he determines when it is best for a woman to have a child. When he wants to add a child or children to that family. It's a blessing. It's a gift that God gives. And we'll see here in this process that the Lord saw that Leah was unloved by Jacob. He was unloved by Jacob, so he opened up her womb and blessed her and blessed them with a son, a child, we see, we'll see. But for Rachel, the one he did love, the one he was really spending the most time and spending the most attention on, he kept her womb closed. And did not provide, give a gift of a children to him. And then we see in 32, so Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Oh, Leah, I'm so sorry, but that's not how it works. Unfortunately, the nature of man does not think the way woman thinks. She thought, now since I'm going to have his child, he finally, Jacob, is going to pay attention to me. Because if I will have and be able to have sex with this man and conceive, he will then love me. That must mean he loves me because he slept with me. No, that does not mean that. Unfortunately, in the nature of man, that doesn't mean if a man sleeps with a woman that he loves her. But for a woman, that's how she conceives. Oh, he's going to lie with me. That must mean he loves me. And she did not have it right. He didn't love her. Yes, they were married. They weren't in sin. They weren't doing anything wrong because they were married. That wasn't the issue. But he was still willing to be intimate with her, and well, intimate, or come together as one. But he didn't have a heart for her. Not at all. But she thought, this is what's going to cause my, my husband to pay attention to me. But look what happened next. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. So the first one was Reuben, which means hearing, or, or means seeing. God, God sees that I am unloved. God sees what's going on in my life. He's, he sees what's happening to me as a, as a wife to this man. He see, God sees, and he's blessed me with this boy, Reuben. Here, the second child, God has now allowed her to have a second child, Simeon, which means hearing. So not only does God sees what's going on in my life, but now he also hears my cries. He hears what's going on in this family dynamics, and God has blessed me with another son. Look at verse 34. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now 
Now this time my, my husband will become attached to me. And, and because I have borne him three sons, therefore his name will be, was called Levi. Means join or joint or attachment. Now God is going to cause Jacob to attach to me like a, a, like a husband and wife should be. That he'll love me and want to be with me. Oh, poor Leah. Her husband's heart was not right. Her motivation to have children was not right. And she thought through all of this that God was blessing her with children, that that's this how he, God sees and hears and will be joined together, and all this will come out in her benefit. But it's amazing when you think about this. And this is what I always, I, I've really just, a, a, really for you, for, you, for you ladies here today, that God, even though things may not feel or look good in the marriage today, that this guy is not attaching to you, not showing love, not really bonding and working with, and, and all this, just know that God hears and sees you. That God is still going to work in your life and bless you and take care of you and provide for you and be your all in all if he is falling short of what his role is as a husband and as a man. That God is with you, ladies. And he's going to bless you and take care of you. And God is going to continue to work in that husband's wife, just a husband's life. Keep praying for your husband. Now, what's interesting is in 35, he says, so she conceived again and bore a son and said, now my husband will love me. No, 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 it doesn't say that. It says, now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. Judah means praise. Levi means join. Amazing, isn't it? Even with all the family dynamics and things are not right in the household and things are not going well, God still has a plan and a purpose for every single child he allows to be born in the family that he puts in that, that, that child in. Look at this. We have the tribe of Levi or the tribe of Levites or the priestly tribe that comes from this messed up family. That God is going to use for the Israeli, uh, for the Israel um, nation, for the Jewish nation. He's going to, he's brought the son, Levi, who's going to be responsible for that. But in here in verse 35, you see God even brought the son Judah, the tribe of Judah, that King David would come through. And the messianic line for bringing about Jesus himself, the son of God, comes from this son Judah. Yes, a, a messed up family, di family dynamics that you're like, nothing could happen good in this family. But when God is in control and you, he is moving and working through things that you may not understand. But God does. And we must trust God. And we must trust in his sovereignty and his all-knowing state. And here we see that she's blessed with four sons. Four sons. With tremendous purpose and value. Go to flip over for me. I think it's uh, Psalm 139. I loved, I just love this, uh, this psalm. Psalm 139. And we'll just read it just a few verses. Verse 14 through 16. It says, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully, skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Psalm 139, verses 14 through 16. God knows each one of us before he chooses to bring and start knitting and developing you at conception in your mother's womb. 
That is incredible, and it's a miracle, and it's an awesome to know that truth, that that baby that's in the womb of the mother was known, you were known before, and determined when and where and purpose and value. Don't let anyone convince you that a child has no value in the womb. They completely go against the word of God and they will be judged based on that. There's value. There's purpose. And God has a plan for each and every child. Now it's interesting here. We see here now she, there's four sons born to Jacob through Leah. But her, she stopped bearing. She did not have any more babies. It's, it's clear. So what happens? You would think, okay, what's happened with Rachel? Verse, chapter 30, verse 1 says, Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. You, you, you picture like any interesting family, right? Even when there's sister's division within a family, if a sister has a, is pregnant and is going to have a child, there's always a reason for a party. Let's have a baby shower. We're going to have a celebration. Even though there might be odds within the family, there's still a celebration because mom and dad's going to probably make sure there's some kind of party going on. But not Rachel. Rachel was so bitter because she had not been blessed by God. She not only was envying her sister for having four sons and she having none, but she then now shifts her blame to her husband. And it says, give me children. Now let me reassure you women, your husband doesn't make that determination. And she was so angry, she lost her mind thinking he could give her children. God determines that. And you'll see that, or else I die. I mean, she's really emotionally saying, I can't continue to live if I don't have a child. But the irony or the sadness of that statement is later on in the chapter in the book of Genesis, we will find that Rachel actually dies during childbirth on that on the last son, Benjamin. So here she's saying to Jacob, you need to give me a son. Well, wait, 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 wait. I'm not the problem we see here. Look at Jacob's response. Jacob's anger. Anger was aroused against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Are you crazy, woman? I, Leah just had four children. I'm not the problem here. Not my determination here. You can't have the child because God hasn't determined for you to have a child at this point. I can't just, I'm not God. I just can't get you a child. But do you see how emotional this is around having children not having children and when god determines the timing when you will have children or not have children and the division that it caused the jealousy the in enviness the because in that culture a woman who did not have a child it was looked down upon her by the society as she is cursed by god and that's not true it's not true. God determines in his wisdom who should have children and who should not. Now what's interesting here, he responds, and Jacob shouldn't have responded in anger. He should have understood his wife and, and understood the, the turmoil she was having inside. But he responded ungodly. So she, in verse 3, so she said, here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her, and she will bear a child on my knees, that I also may have children by her. Then she gave him Bilhah, her maid, as wife, and Jacob went into her, and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Well, things that are learned within families can cause a rippling effect down through the generations. And that's why... Anything that goes on in a family that's ungodly has to stop. And you have to bring it to light to your, your children, your children's children, your grandchildren, that yes, grandma and grandpa really messed up, should not have done it, that was against God's. Mom and dad really messed up because that was against God's ways. 
Well, obviously, Rachel learned from and heard the story of back of Sarah and Abraham, did they not? Because she's doing exactly what Sarah said, because Sarah did, because Sarah, God did not give Sarah a child yet. So she leaned on her own understanding and said, okay, great. Use Hagar as my maidservant to be able to have children, because I want children. Because in that custom, when a maidservant had a child, it was actually the, 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 the wife's child. Even though they bore the child and delivered the child, they actually was their child. So here now Rachel's saying, I want a child. So she leans on her own understanding, just like Sarah did, and says, you will, you will lie with my maidservant. And back in those customs, what would happen is the wife would lay back, lay down, and the maidservant would lay on her legs while the husband conceived with the maidservant. So it was a symbolism of, yes, you're in her, but I am really my child. And they would happen as when childbirth took place. When she was having the child, the wife would lie down, the, the woman would lie down on her legs and bear the child. So it was like she was bearing the child even though it was the maidservant. It was a culture thing. So they did that, exactly. And Jacob, okay, listened to his wife. Oh, you have no problem. Oh, you want me to, to, to lie with my, the maid, your maidservant? Oh, sure, Bill, help I'll do that. That's going to make you happy because I certainly don't want you in the state of emotional state of you're going to die because you don't have a child. So he was obviously influenced, probably not too hard to influence him. But he, yes, he went and lied with his maidservant and had this child. Now, what, look at what happens here. When she bears in verse six, and then Rachel said, God has judged my case and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, he she called his name Dan, the tribe of Dan, Dan, which means judge or judge. So God has given me a son of judge of judge saying, hey, God has now judged my case and my situation here. And he has given me a child. Well, yes. Technically, culturally, but not, you didn't bear that child. The maidservant, Bilhah, gave you that child. So, but she's gonna, she's gonna, she's gonna take whatever she can get, right? She wants to have that child, that desperate. And then Rachel's maid, Bilhah, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Oh, the first time worked. Okay, let's keep this going. And sure enough, had the second son. And then Rachel said, with great wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name, Naphtali, wrestling, or my wrestling. Well, at least Rachel was honest where her motivation is. Her motivation wasn't to be blessed by God, to have a child, to be able to raise this child according to the ways of God, and to, be, and to do that. No, she was wrestling. She was competing against her sister. I'm going to have a child, and I'm going to compete against my sister, and I'm going to have more children, not your children, and then people think, blah, blah. It happens today, people. People will say, why is that, that young girl having a child out of wedlock? Because she desperately wants a child, because she's not married, and she's going to have that child regardless if she's married or not. You're out of God's will, and it's not going to turn out good. But then when you sit there and compete and say, oh, my, my younger sister's having more babies than I am, my oldest sister, or whatever the situation is, and you're going to compete and, and, look, I have a child, my grandma and grandpa's going to have, your mom and dad loves me more than you because I have the first grandchild. That is just ungodly thinking. It's got to get out of your mind because it's only going to bring division within the family. We must have the right heart around these things. We must get our hearts aligned with how God sees things. Or there's going to be a family dynamics that you will not like. And everyone around that family will suffer that division and, and, and issues. So what happens here? So he's, she's, now she's got two children through Belha, her maidservant, and she, you think that would make her happy. Never makes you happy. <laughs> you, you, you're never content. Watch what happens here as we continue to, to work this. When Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, so now Leah's come to realize, uh, I'm still sleeping with uh, Jacob and I'm not having any more children. 
And she's watching her sister now use Belha. What happens? She took Zelpha, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as wife. <laughs> Jacob is not complaining. He's now sleeping around with four women. Now keep in mind, he's only married to two, Leah and Rachel. The maidservants, they say as wife, meaning he's pretending to be, it's like a pretend. It's like they're acting like they're married when they're not married. So they're giving their two maidservants over to them to sleep with them so they can get children. See, there's nothing new under the sun. They're two, a man and woman will come together and they'll sleep like they're married, like husband and wife, when they're not even married. It's against the word of God as it goes out of sight of the word of God. It's sin. And it's going to bring destruction to you. And we will see. Destruction is happening within this family dynamics because they're choosing to go outside the, the, the will of God. They were not to be sleeping with Jacob. They're not married. They're maidservants to take care of the, the wives. So what happens? So Zilpah, well, obviously, uh, I mean, Leah says to Zilpah, you're going to do exactly like Bilhah does, and you're going to sleep with Jacob here. And so Leah made Zilpah, verse 10, bore son, uh, Jacob a son. Then Leah said, a troop comes. So she calls his name Gad, the, troop, uh, the tribe of Gad. means troop or reinforcement. Uh-oh, I need reinforcement because I'm not having more babies. I only had four. And now my sister's got two, and this is competition. A couple more times, a couple more years, we can be matching here. This is not going to be good. She can't have more kids than me. So, Zilpah, you're going to help me out here. And sure enough, Zilpah slept with Jacob and had a son. And she called him Gad, meaning reinforcement. We're going to stay ahead. We're gonna, I'm going to have my own troop, <laughs> my own troop enforcement, my own little division going on here. My little squad is going to help me. But what happens next? And Leah's mates, Zilpah, bore Jacob a second son. Ah, Jacob said this is working. Leah, Leah says this is working, so let's keep doing it. Sure enough, they had another son, and Leah said, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher, Asher or happy. She's happy because now her opinion of what people think of her is so dominant in her mind and her heart right here because she says, now all the women in the, in the, in the community are going to look upon me and say, look at how blessed she is. She is a woman blessed by God. And she was just, that was important to her, what other people think. That's not good. Because you'll make decisions and bad decisions just to please other people when you're only to be pleasing God. And not what other people think here. And then verse 14, now we see Reuben, the, old, the first son. He's now about seven, eight years old. If they're having a child after child after child after child, he's around seven, eight years old. So now Reuben does exactly what all young boys do. They love to go explore. So where did he go exploring? He went in, the, went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother, Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Mandrakes in the Hebrew means love apple. It's, it, it were kind of a whitish, you know, low-lying growing um, plant like a strawberry plant. And it grew the fruit that looked like a little apple. And those in those days believed they were like an aphrodisiac or a fertility type natural method to, to cause the woman to be fertile and to be able to have children. And these were very prized possessions. And even today, some peoples over there still look and take those, those natural herbs or that plant, that, that love, ample, love apple or the mandrakes, to try to get pregnant. Now, there's, again, nothing under, new under the sun. Women said, I can't get pregnant. So what do they do? They try to find all kinds of naturals and chemically made drugs to be able to get pregnant. So it's nothing new under the sun. That's exactly what. And those are coveted. And Rachel saw those. Well, Rachel, obviously they were rare because you would think Rachel would be working day and night trying to find those. <laughs> so what you, what you think is you're not pregnant and you can't get pregnant? 
But we see that God orchestrated where Reuben works his way around and finds these mandrakes and brings them to Mom Leah. And immediately Rachel said, I want some of those. Well, Leah's sitting there going, no, you can't have any of those. But look what how Rachel, again, she's just like her father Laban, scheming, making deals. How does she do it? What does she say here? It says that, verse 15, but she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? What is he going to do with mandrakes? This boy ain't going to take no mandrakes. He's like, you're taking food out of my son's mouth. No, he's not going to take them. They're for the woman. And Rachel said, therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. So we see what's happening, the bitterness in Leah's life. She immediately doesn't sit there and say anything other than bring Rachel back to the root of the bitterness in Leah's life. You have taken my husband away from me. Oh, Leah. See, remember, Leah was not to be married to Jacob. Her father messed all that up. Now, Leah obviously had to, based on the statement, I believe, had to have an agreement. Yes, Dad, let me be the one and yes, let's deceive Jacob. Yes, I will do whatever I can to conceal who I am while he thinks I'm Rachel that night. I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure I sound like Rachel or whatever I need to do so he knows he'll sleep with me that night. Because here in this statement, it reveals that was my husband. He was, I want him. And you've taken a meaning. Jacob spent more time or lived or slept with or spent more time with Rachel and not Leah. Obviously, Jacob didn't spend 100% of the time with Leah, Rachel because obviously because he's had a lot of babies with Leah. But in her mind, you've taken away my husband. Why would I give it to him? And you're taking the mandrakes from my son. It's not from the son anyway. It's for the, it's for the women. So Rachel responds and says, and does the ultimate, which is incredible when you, when you, when you are emotionally charged and you're leaning on your understanding and you're manipulating the situations and you're doing things, it's going to backfire on you. And it backfires on Rachel here because Rachel says to her, you give me some of those mandrakes, you can sleep with Jacob tonight. What are you thinking, Rachel? What are you thinking? What, look what happened. She desperately wanted that child. She'll even be willing to let Jacob sleep with her. And watch what happened. When Jacob, verse 16, when Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him. She didn't even let him get into the house. She went out to the field to meet him and said, you must come into me. Not it, would you like to? You must come into me. For I have surely hired you. You're just hired. Help here. You're hired you with my son with my son's mandrakes and he and he lay with her that night. Jacob had no problem hearing the fact that you've just been bought and you've been manipulated with and you're going to do what I'm telling you to do and it's going to play how I want you to play it. You would think Jacob would say, wait a minute, who do you think? I'm not going to be played like this. I'm not going to be treated like this. I feel, I feel used. No, Jacob obviously didn't feel used. It's his wife. And what happened? Verse 17, and God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. So God opened her womb again. And she got had another son. It backfired on Rachel. Was Rachel thinking because of the fact that she had not been able to bore children, that we she took a chance and said, give me the, some of the mandrakes because your womb's closed, I'm not worried about it. Now God said, no, 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 no. I'll open that right back up here. And she got another son. It backfired on Rachel. But again, now Rachel's really focused upon just having a child. That's all that's really in her head. 
So that this, that this son came along, and God had given me my wages, because I have given my maid, maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar, which means hired. That little boy, I had to work it out. He's my reward. I had to hire it and get something of reward from this situation. Verse 19, then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment now, and my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulon, which means dwelling. She said, I'm being rewarded. Everything's going great. She's now having now another child. And this child is re representing the dwelling, meaning how can Jacob not now want to dwell with me? I've given him six sons. This is incredible. It doesn't work like that, do it. Just because you have many kids doesn't cause a man to love you more when his heart is not right. When he lives by the flesh, it doesn't help this man to love you or want to dwell with you. So what happens? Afterwards, verse 21, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Now you'll notice there's no definition of Dinah because in those days, girls were not um, the significant in regards to the uh, meaning around the names and the significance of, of that family lineage. Only the guys back in that culture. But in verse 22, then God remembered Rachel. Now, God didn't forget Rachel. Remembered here in the original language means now God sees it, it, the time to bless Rachel is now. God says, now it's time to bless Rachel. Now it's time to give her a gift of children. Now it's according to my time and purpose. And God listened to her and opened up her womb. In verse 23, and she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken my away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord, Jehovah, shall add to me another son. So we don't, we just see not a celebration when I read that. The fact that she got a son finally. She's now able to have a child. She wasn't, she wasn't excited about having a child from God. She was like, it was all about her reputation, all my reproach, all of this, what I've been dealing with, God has finally dealt with my feelings. But then she turns around in verse 24 and says, the Lord Jehovah, she now recognizes God is the one who has given this child, says, he's going to give me another one. Now he's, they've got 11 sons and a daughter and maybe other daughters, but only one daughter noticed or noted. But we know later on in the, in the book here, we'll know that she does have another son. God allows her to have another son named Benjamin. But again, she dies in childbirth at that point in time. Now, we see the family is growing, the family is established. Now we see God using, working in Jacob's life to says, now you need to continue to move down the path that I told Abraham, and I told him, give you a promise there uh, in, uh, in um, uh, Bethel. You are now having to shift. You're going to have to leave. And with the remaining of this chapter, you're going to see, now we're going to see God's blessing upon Jacob, even though he does not deserve it in this family dynamics. God is going to bless him because he needs to continue on that lineage using, remember, we're seeing the start of the, tw the, the 12 tribes of Israel. We just saw 11 of the sons. Benjamin is the 12th, and that's the 12 tribes of Israel that we see all the way through the rest of the scripture. This is where it starts. But watch what happens where God provides. He says then, and it came to pass, how long? been at least 14 years right he served 14 years had some children we're going to see 20 years he's been dwelling with will be dwelling with uh, uncle laban so he says time has passed when rachel had born joseph that jacob said to laban send me away that i may go to my place and to my country jacob knew that this is not his home remember 
his mama sent him up there to get away from Esau because Esau was going to kill his brother for deceiving. Dad, Isaac was happy to get rid of the boy because he deceived dad. So he sent him up there to Uncle Laban to get him safe so Esau, his older brother, didn't kill him. Now we're sitting there. Remember, Rachel, um, uh, Rebecca said, you're only going to be up there a few days, son, and then you'll come back once your brother gets all calmed down. It's been 14 plus years already. Now we know in the scriptures, as he heads back, his mom is already dead. He doesn't get to see his mom when she sent him off in his way. But time had passed. Here he is. He knows he needs to go back to the promised land that God said to Abraham all the way through the lineage, even to his father Isaac, that this is where he's supposed to dwell in Canaan. So he tells Uncle Laban, send me away. Let me go. Verse 26, give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you. And let me go for you know my service which I have done for you. I've been faithful. I've done exactly what you've all wanted me to do. I have now have children. I have are two wives. I have grandchildren. Send me my way. I have to go back down to Canaan area, uh, back where my father is. So what he says um, in, in verse 27, And Laban's response said to him, Please stay if I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Uncle Laban, Laban doesn't want him to go because through the word experience in the original language is means enchantments or divinity. He Remember, he worshiped false gods. So in the process of him worshiping false gods, somehow he was revealed to him the reason why he was blessed, the reason why he has all these grandchildren, why his flocks and all the things were uh, large, he was wealthy. He wasn't wealthy in the beginning, and now because Jacob was there, he became wealthy, he became a larger family, and he knew it was because of Jacob's presence, and he says, what can I do to keep you? He says to him right there in verse 28, he said to him, name your wages and I will give it. So Jacob said in verse 29, said to him, you know how I have served you and how your livestock has been with me. Your wealth, your everything you have is because God has worked through me. I have done this for you. And Laban did not want him to leave. Don't take my daughters. Don't take my grandchildren. And certainly, and from his perspective, don't leave because you are the one that's been really making me wealthy here and prosperous. So what happens? He's trying to now going to work out a deal between those two connivers. They're going to figure out how to work this out. What happens? For what? Verse 30, for what has you have before I came was a little. So Jacob's really responding here. When I came, I had was a little and it had increased to a great amount. The Lord had blessed you since my coming, and now when, I sh when shall I also provide for my own house? He's sitting here, I have a family. I want to provide. I can no longer just keep making your family get bigger. I need to have my own thing here. How am I going to have a living and create this living? So what happens next? Verse 31. So he said, what shall I give you? Laban's like, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. Now, if he would have stopped right there and said, God has told me and put on my heart, I need to go back down to Canaan. I'm taking what I have. God will provide for me. I'm going to go and not look back. But that's not what Jacob did. What happened? He says, I don't, I, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again feed and keep your flocks. Uh-oh. Jacob is now committing to Uncle Laban again. We work out a deal. I'll stay here and work and take care of your flock. If we can work out a deal. And he does for another six years. Remember, 20 years he was under the household of his uncle, serving him and taking care of him. But what's the deal here? We'll wrap up here with the deal. Look at what happens here. Let me pass through all your flock today. Removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted speckled among the goats, and these shall be my wages. 
So he says, okay, let's take a look at the goats, look at the lambs. And in those days, pure black and pure white lambs and goats, they were purebred. Those were the best of the best. If they were speckled, then they weren't as pure. And so Jacob says, just take out the speckles and I will be my wages. And I'll take care of them. That's what I'll take. You keep all the pure ones, uncle, and everything will be fine from that perspective, right? No, it doesn't happen this way. Look at verse 33. So my righteousness will answer for me in time to come. I'm going to do what is right, uncle. I'm going to take, do this fair and right. And when the time is right, when the subject of my wages comes before you, when it's time to count the number of speckled goats and sheep, when the time is right, we'll know. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. So when it comes time, there's going to be a time period, and we're going to divvy it up all. I'm going to just have the speckled ones. Any pure ones are with me. It's like I've stolen them. They're not going to be with me. They're, those are yours. We're going to keep them separated. So I'm telling you, I'm going to do what is right. I'm not taking any pure ones. I'm just taking the speckled ones. And how does Laban respond to this deal? Verse 34. And Laban said, Oh, that it were according to your word. There's the signed deal. Laban said, This is a great deal. You can take the inferior spotted ones and I'll keep the pure ones. Not a problem. Well, you know, Laban, you can take it either way as we read these next few verses, but I, I kind of lean toward one way. But it says right here, now notice that. Laban said, according to your word. Okay, this is a deal. Verse 35. So he, Laban, removed that day. Removed that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted. Right? The male goats. That, that takes two to tango, right? Male and female. And the, the, he, he's removing the male goats that were spotted. And all the female goats that were spotted and speckled and spotted, and every one that had some white in it, and all of the brown ones among the lambs, and gave them into the hands of his, not Jacob, into the hands of his sons. What are they going to do with it? What are they doing with those? Those are Jacob's. They, they already agreed. But Laban separated them. What happened? Then he, Laban, put three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. Sons, get over here, separate these speckled out, and you go three days away so you are nowhere in sight so that Jacob doesn't see them or just get rid of them so he doesn't get to benefit from those speckles. Because Laban says, He's going to stay here forever because if he doesn't have a female goats that are speckled goats, how is he going to get any more speckles if I take the ability of the males and the females away that are speckled and spotted? Because well, Laban doesn't know God, does he? <laughs> you may try to orchestrate to stop something, but when God wants to do something, watch what happens here. Look what happens now. Does Jacob go after Laban and go after them? No. Laban sits there and between himself and Jacob, Jacob continues to be faithful right there and feeds the rest of Laban's flocks, the pure ones. What happens next? Now Jacob took him for himself rods of green poplar and of the almond and chestnut trees and peeled white strips in them and exposed the white which was in the rods. And the rods which he had peeled he set before the flocks in the gutters in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink so that they should conceive when they come to drink. So the flocks conceived before the rods, and the flocks brought forth streaked and speckled and spotted. See, some people are like, how did that happen? And how would, and what is he doing with these, these certain branches and peeling them back? And they're white, and they're putting them in the water. And you can read all kinds of smart people out there in, in, in theology world. But none of them agree with how it happened. I've come, God has settled on this over my heart this week as I studied this. I don't care what those branches are. All I know is that God gives wisdom to man. 
And here we have Jacob, who's been out there working for 14 years with these animals. He studied and watched them like a shepherd. And at an 80-year-old man, he said, I know how these should be breeding. I know he may not understand um, dominant genes for recessive genes. He may not have understand how the genes work per se scientifically. But he knew that this was going to help these female goats get into heat and to be able to be able to be conceived easily uh, uh, and bear a, a, another animal because they were going to be taking it. Was it the was it the taste that caused it? Was it the the, the chemicals of those branches? I don't care. All I know is God gave this man wisdom to do something that caused these Laban's sheep, these pure sheep, to produce speckled animals. And God is wise. Jacob may not have understood why he was doing it and what he was doing about it. It doesn't matter. God is in control in how he was orchestrating and making this happen. And now we see they're producing speckled the streaked and speckled and spotted and whatever else you want to call them. And verse 40, then Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the streaked and all the brown in the, the flock of Laban. But he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flock. So when the speckled ones started being produced, he said, I'm going to keep them separated here. Keep the black and the white, the pure ones over here. That's Laban's. I'll take care of them. But mine, they're getting speckled. I'm going to separate them over here. So there's no way when Uncle Laban comes back and says, wait a minute. You got the pure ones with the speckled ones. Oh, you're deceiving. No, he didn't want that happening because that was part of the deal. So what happens is now look how wise God has made Jacob. He now starts breeding the animals according to a strong genes versus weak genes. The, weak an the strong animals versus feeble animals. And he's now doing, and you can ask anyone in the farming industry. You can ask Stan. Stan will tell you. You know which animals can, can, are good ones to breed and which ones not to breed, right? So here's God's given Jacob the same understanding and wisdom to do this. Look what happens here. Verse 41, and it came to pass whenever the stronger livestock conceived that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters that they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in so that the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. So he's studying these animals. He says, that is a strong, healthy lamb. This is good. Get those rods into the water so they'll be more likely, whatever that causes them, to, to, to be able to, get con to conceive another uh, offspring. And they're going to be strong. These are strong genes. And then when he looked at the feeble ones, he says, oh, don't put them in there because we don't want them to conceive. We want them to stay weak and lower because those are Laban's. And what happened because of that decision? Verse 43, thus the man, Jacob, became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks. But look at how prosperous he became. Not only did he have large flocks, but because of that wealth, he had female and male servants, and now he has camels and donkeys. He has a nice big tribe and all the wealth to take care of this. And next, not next week, because we'll have a special message for Resurrection Sunday, but Lord willing, the following week, chapter 31, we are going to see now the story of how he's going to get back down to Canaan. Read ahead. It's an incredible, I probably will do chapters 31, 32, and if it really feels good, we might go right into chapter 33 even. I know that will be a marathon. That would be fun, won't it? <laughs>